fans and welcome to the big blue box podcast my name's gary my name's adam and welcome to episode 379 hope you've had a cracking one and that you've all managed to do something doctor who doctor who related related <laughs> you always wait too long mate i know every hmm. time trying to catch you out yes. trying to get you <laughs> indeedy indeedy welcome everybody to episode 379 it's uh it's another quiet week for news in the world of doctor who we don't have anything kicking off that sounds not in a bad way we don't have any big any big news to go through uh russell's been fairly quiet for the last couple of weeks i think um because we had that big um batch of news that came all at once it felt like Mm. it's now kind of simmered down a little bit and then we'll probably it'll probably ramp up again at some point soon there'll be another bit of news that drops a casting announcement or something and yeah. we'll uh, and we'll be off to the races again, but fairly quiet this week. And uh, one of us has had a very cool Doctor Who related thing going on. One of us has been very quiet. I'll let you guess which one <laughs> is that. So before we get on to that, um, we are going to mention just some very quick, just very quickly, some picks that were that were dropped um, of Mister Tennant in his new suit mm. for Comic Relief. We'll, we'll talk about those in a second, and then we're on to our review of the fourth Doctor story, Underworld. Underworld, Underworld, yes. indeed. Quest yes. is the quest. This is the way, <laughs> indeedy. Uh, before we get on to all that stuff, what do you get up to at the weekend? You did something, so just get me out of the way. I've had a really busy week with work and other stuff, so I haven't had a chance to do anything Doctor Who related. But I know you have, bud. What have you been up to? Yeah, yeah, I've been to the old one of those BFI events, and it was a cracker this time, uh, mate. It was a really top day. I mean, they always are good, but I don't know, this one, just the atmosphere was so fun. Uh, so I went to the BFI, uh, British Film Institute, for those of you who don't know, which is on the South Bank in London. Uh, it's basically, uh, it's got about, how many cinema screens they got in there? It's like a, a luxurious, yeah. very comfy cinema. Yeah, um, got They have about four or five screens, mm. I think. And uh, yeah, we watched The Sea Devils on the big screen, uh, ready for when the box set of season nine comes out later this month uh which was great in itself um they always show you some little snippets of some of the new extras that we're going to get so we got to see a little bit of the behind the sofas and katie riding a bike and stuff so it was a really great event but it there was also interviews and stuff it was quite a long day um as well they actually gave us a toilet break in the middle because it was quite a long day which is (laughs) which is yeah yeah (laughs) which is great because you do feel like you get value for money i mean we had you know, all of that, six episodes of the Sea Devils, extras, we had people on stage talking, Katie Manning, Pete McTeague, uh, Hugh, Hugh Futcher, carefully say that, uh, he, uh, especially after a few drinks, he was there, he had a very minor part mm-hmm. in, in the Sea Devils, um, so I wasn't sure, like, 
I didn't even know he was, if I'm all honest. But actually, he was one of those guests that you think, well, I don't know him. And, you, you know, you might sort of not be too bothered about. But he actually turned out to be quite an interesting, fun guy on stage. He was uh, talking about, he was in some of the carry-on films as well. So although he was only minor in The Sea Devils, he did lots of other stuff. But what was interesting was I didn't know he was a contender for the seventh doctor. Uh, so as soon as he said that, my kind of ears pricked up and I thought, Oh, that's Oof. interesting. So he Oof. talked about that, get doing the audition. Uh, he had a scarf on as well, like a long scarf, sort of multicolored, not, not fourth doctor, but you know, ish. Um, so he was, in, he was, you know, into the part if you like. And, uh, he was quite entertaining. Katie was just amazing. As you can imagine, she is just such a big ball of fun on and off stage. She did a signing afterwards, Katie Manning. So that was great. Uh, Pete McTeague was there. Uh, the guy who writes all the trailer um, trailers that we get for the Blu-rays, you know, like the one of Ace looking out the window and the most recent one with Katie Manning. And he had the small sea devil baby head with him, which was pretty cool. Uh, we had a guy playing piano in the middle of the uh, interval as well, which was very... Uh, we haven't had that before. So they, there was a guy randomly playing the music from City of Death. He played that, which is cool. And then he went on to try and attempt to play some of the music from The Sea Devils um, by Malcolm Hulk, which, as you can imagine, <laughs> anyone who's ever watched Sea Devils, the music is a little bit bizarre, to say the least. Um, it's Well, it's very experimental, isn't it? And to hear that sort of morphed... Uh, to, you know, trying to play that on piano was interesting. <laughs> I don't know how he managed to transcribe it. I spoke to him afterwards. I was like, how did you even work out the notes? Because it's all like electronic blips and, bl you know. But uh, so that was cool. It was just a really fun day, mate. And the, and the two guys who compare it, is that the right word? You know, uh, Dick mm -hmm. Fiddy and uh, Richard, what's his name? What's the other guy's name? Anyway, those yeah. two guys. They they are always, you know, they always kick off the event and introduce it and they normally do a little competition, handing out some stuff. They were on such great form on Saturday. Like the humour and banter between them and the people on stage um, just created such a great atmosphere. It was, yeah, it was a great day. And then obviously drinks afterwards and there was loads of people in the bar, um, a lot of like celebrities. There was loads of big Finnish people there. Uh, Frank Skinner was there. Um, obviously Katie Manning and everyone it was just uh, such a great atmosphere on Saturday probably one of the most enjoyable BFI events I've been to and they're always good but this one I don't know it just really stood out as being a great day I, I absolutely loved it I, I just sort of feel like they are becoming so hard to get tickets for now and I understand why because they are so popular but I dread the day that I don't get a ticket and I, you know, shout out to our writer Maria because I really did, you know, she was really missed. You were really missed, Maria. I would have loved you to have been there. And I, I do feel bad actually saying how great it was because I know you do listen to the shows as well as write for us. So um, you were missed and I, I just know that's, that's going to happen to me one day and I, I will probably just go for the drinks and the bants afterwards because it is, yeah, they are just great fun. They are, dude. And, and what was the um, what was the <clears throat> the Sea Devils like on the big screen? And has it had much remastering done and stuff, or is it as you expected? Well, it um, <clears throat> excuse me. It looked good, but I mean, it, it did. There's only so much they can do. I think. I mean, I, mm. I, some of the shots on the sea and the boats and that 
they do look really grainy and they still look really grainy. Um, I, I think it, it's as good as it can be and it certainly does look good. Um, but I think especially when you're seeing it on a big screen, you can really pick out, you know, the quality of the film, which sadly for this story is not um, is not the best, uh, but it's certainly not the worst either. Um, it looked good, but yes, you could definitely see you know, the imperfections of it, to be honest. As, as I said, there's only so much they can do, I think. I read you. Okay. There, there was, was a bit of there was a bit of music that nearly tore my ears off, mate. You know, oh. the music's quite piercing. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they remastered that as well as the picture. There was a high-pitched note that seemed to go on for like a good 30 seconds. And <laughs> um, especially as I've, <clears throat> excuse me, just had my ears uh, done so I can hear really well at the minute. Uh <laughs> It really went through me, and I could feel everyone's backs go up, thinking, "Will this note please end?" It was oh, like God. it was really, really high pitched. Mm-hmm. So yes, it sounded clear. The sound was excellent. Marquez, I suppose, has done yeah. that, but it sounded good and it looked good. But mm-hmm. yeah, that some of the sea shots, mate, they look, they do look ropey, don't they? They just look really grainy, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know what you're saying as well. There was one occasion, this isn't Doctor Who related, there was one occasion where I walked out of a cinema because of the, the audio mix. Really? It was what the was audio that? Mix. It was years ago, I think about 15 years ago, something like that. Um, I went to see, they were doing this horror weekend in the town I used to live in, and it was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, God. So, yeah, we ended up seeing about three or four <laughs> horror films over this weekend. I don't know what it was about that particular film, whether they just cranked the volume up too much or the mix was... But it literally went straight. It, it, I don't know if anyone's seen that film, but there's this high pitch kind of squeal that goes on for what feels like hours mm. throughout the whole film. And it got so bad that I was like, guys, I can't do this. I've got to get out of it. Because it was, <laughs> you know, in some films when people have got like some sort of device on their head that just, oh, actually, you know, in this episode when um, he's in the torture thing with those headphones on. And yeah, they keep, yeah. That's what it felt like. <laughs> so I was like, no, I've got to get out. So I know what you mean, bud. Sometimes in the cinema, certain things that you didn't didn't bother you in terms of audio when you've watched it at home, yeah, just go straight through your bloody brain. I know what you mean. It, it definitely <laughs> did. It definitely did. Uh, just to wrap up as well, the, the, this little thing. Um, I a personal highlight for me was uh, in the bar afterwards. Um, I heard somebody shouting, "Oi, geeks handbag, geeks handbag!" I was turned around. And it was Al Dewar, who's the creative director of character options, who make all the Doctor Who figures. You know, they do all the B&M figures and everything. They, You know, ever since Doctor Who came back in 2005, the, you know, the glory days of like, um, was it Toys R Us? You know, those pictures yeah. you see of all the figures mm-hmm. that we used to get and stuff. So character options. Um, and I had such a lovely chat with Al. And we, you know, we talked about the range and, and, and what's going on with it. And um just a really nice guy and you know it was just lovely to be able to talk to him about because uh, i was worried i said you know i hope you don't mind me saying but i fi- find finding the b&m sets quite frustrating <laughs> because sometimes they're very hard to get and he it was just nice that he shares our frustrations and and they're trying to do things about it and stuff so that was a particular highlight for me and yeah i think we've got some f- for those of us that collect the figures i know i know you're not a figure collector but um there are people like myself that do love them. And I think uh, talking to Well just confirmed we have got some quite exciting times ahead, I think. And um, especially now Russell's back, it seems like they're very much working together. Oh, so, good, yeah, good. that was it. That was nice as well. That was a no- lovely little bonus for the day to actually chat to him as someone who loves collecting the figures. Um, yeah, a lovely guy. Really, really nice guy. 
Oh, sounds awesome, dude. Yeah, yeah very it was. Cool. It was a, yeah, it was a really good moment for me. Yeah, mm-hmm. I loved it. Yes. And hopefully they can sort out their relationship with distribution and stuff with B&M because, uh, mm. as we all know, that's always a fun time. Yeah, <laughs> so, it sounds like they're tackling it. Yeah, yeah, it definitely sounds like they're trying to tackle the distribution issues. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So, yeah. It's all good. So, yeah, another great event, mate. And I've got uh, another one this weekend. I tell you, the weeks are flying by at the minute. Mm-hmm. So I've got... Um, I'm going to the Riverside Studios to a Doctor event this weekend. And uh, as listeners of the last podcast will know, we're going to be watching episode six of The Web Planet, which Jesus is... Pro- Christ. <laughs> 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 oh, I'm going to have to have a few ciders before I go into that, I think. I don't know if I'm going to be able to take that again. It's too recent, you know. It's, the memories are too sore to, to go back and watch that so quickly after we reviewed it, I think. But, uh, yeah, there is other stuff. They are showing other episodes, thank goodness. But, yeah, I get the feeling that's that's going to be the toilet break moment for me when that comes on, <laughs> I think. <laughs> yes. Uh, dear listener, if you haven't checked out our review yet of The Web Planet, go give that a listen. Yeah. Do, yeah. That'll be a good laugh. Before we get on <laughs> yeah. to our review this week, though, anyway, it sounds like a cool event, dude. And, um, yeah, I know Maria is going to this one at Riverside, so she'll be able to do a... Um, Oh no, I don't think she is. Oh, she's not there. This one, she she was. Oh, I think right. no, because I texted her and said, "Oh well, at least I'll see you next weekend." And I've got the feeling she double booked or something. I think she's oh, off to Ma- see that play with Jenna Coleman. Maria, I think. Don't quote me on it, but I'm sure she said, "Oh no, I can't go now." Um, is it the Jenna Coleman play? I can't remember. I, I think she's know. double booked, mate. I think she's double booked herself. For so. God's sake, Maria. <laughs> and as i said it's no good relying on me to do the write-ups because i can't remember them the morning after so nope <laughs> nope no uh i need to give I'm a shout out frazzled. to um <laughs> to frazzled yeah to maria's um mm. classic watch through as well yes. so as i mentioned last week over on the discord she has started to put her notes down on her rewatch from the uh she's going through the, cl- the classic years and she's now on to season two uh production code j which is planet of the giants and uh, she's given some really cool little write-ups over on there. So um, I'll give you the deets on how you can get onto Discord in a moment. Um, but, Sweet. oh, Maria, if you didn't... Oh, I just feel gutted I, for her because she missed this one as well, just gone. I know. I could <laughs> be wrong, but I'm sure she said when I texted her she couldn't make it. Oh, dear. Yeah. Anyway, before we get on to our review, did you see the pics, dude, of Mr. Tennant in his, in mm. his brand new uh, 14th Doctor suit with Mr. Lenny Henry? This was for, I assume that they uh, have filmed some stuff for the upcoming comic relief Red Nose Day here in the UK, which is um, next week, actually, Friday the 17th of March. So next Friday, cool. you should uh, set your calendars and your watches for that because there'll, there'll be a little Doctor Who segment uh, throughout the proceedings for that. But so, uh, yeah, there was a bunch of pictures. There was about, they'd be quite generous, actually. I think there's about mm. eight, nine pictures of him uh, doing his thing. Some really good poses as well. There's um Yeah. Alongside him with Lenny Henry, there's a there's he's got the classic regeneration pose, you know, where he's glancing down at his hand and looking at his hands, is it? Yeah, yeah and he's at looking at watch. watch and stuff. Yeah. So what do you think to the costume now? You've seen it in a bit bit more detail and close up. The um it, it's definitely uh they've definitely gone for a it's the same but different mm. vibe because it's it feels very much like a, a classic tenant doctor's outfit, but it's just been refined and changed up a little bit so i really like the blue coat i didn't realize it was um i thought it was uh, a smoother material but it's really fluffy and um 
yeah it's a really nice thick wall blend it looks really nice that coat that's mm. going to be a cosplayer's dream yes definitely yeah. yeah i, I really cool. like it i love the outfit mate and that's a perfect description it feels like a a really nice variant on on something the 10th doctor although he is of course the 14th isn't he but it, it is a great variation on on that costume i think I, I really like it yeah i love the coat the waistcoat i like those funny little glasses he's he's wearing and not in any of those pictures but you know in the trailer and stuff i, I think it's a yeah it suits tenant down to the ground you know even the little cut off tie thing he's wearing looks really cool i think it does doesn't it i yeah. love it do you think we're going to get cool. like an actual segment do you think we're going to get like an exclusive little is this going to be like the old days when we get like a little children in need you know red nose day clip or what do you reckon we're going to get i think i think we will yeah i think we I will do as well. yeah i think um i think i have to be careful saying this because we've had a few we've had a few comments here and there nothing mm-hmm. too serious but we've had a few comments here and there saying why why do we um why do we uh love the rtd era and rtd so much oh. you know we, we get some comments saying he's not perfect he's written some clangers and things like that we're fully yeah, aware yeah. of that we're, i was gonna say we acknowledge that yeah of course we're not blind to that of course but mm. um i'm about to say i think because russell's back it feels like some of the things that were in place before that worked really well like the christmas special doing red nose day segments things like that i mm. think they are now coming back a little bit because um, I think fans miss that, and yeah. it was, and uh, and I think Russell is not in a, not in a sort of passive aggressive way, but kind of mm, whether you view things were broken or not, but he's kind of fixing a few little things that mm. have happened with who over the last few years. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all, and and I assume that David Tennant has been doing a wee bit of filming with Lenny Henry for this yeah, because it would okay. be absolutely nuts, wouldn't it, if you've got. David Tennant in costume, ready to rock and roll to do something for Red Nose Day, and all it turns out was he took some pictures in the lobby in front of some posters. You know, that would be a real waste of his time. So I would say, yeah, we'll get something, dude, which would be cool. I I think, yeah, I think and hope you're right. I I wouldn't be at all surprised if, like, you know, with the, was it Children in Need where they had the TARDIS and Millie Gibson came out for the um, companion announcement? I wouldn't be at all surprised if, like, the TARDIS is on the you know, the red nose stage and tenant burst out of it. And yeah, hopefully we get a clip. That would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. I'd love it. Yeah. So is this, so when is it? No, Friday the 17th. Yeah, next, next Friday. Friday. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay. Well, yeah. I should definitely be tuning in for that. Yeah, it'll be cool. Yes. I keep yeah. saying cool a lot today. It will be cool. Yes. It's going to be cool. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Rightio. Let's crack on with our review, dude. What have we got this week? Yeah. So we're, we're diving into the fourth Doctor era with a story called Underworld. We call it the tree. The tree of life. The waste bank, the gift of immortality on the tree of life guarded by the dragon. The oracle? Yes. That's just a myth, a story. Myths often have a grain of truth in them, if you know where to look. What was it? Time ships of the gods. Yes, I'm a time lord. The gods use us for their sport. We should have wiped them out when we had the chance. The quest is the quest. B7E was carrying something much more important, at least to us. Stop! The future of the Minyan race. Cool little trailer. Oh, I said cool again. That's a cool little trailer, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, bud. Mm-hmm. Underworld. Now, there's a little bit of a uh, there's a little bit of a reset needed in my mind for this one. Because I will be honest with you, I've never seen this one before. 
You've never seen it. Got no, a treat was, for you. Yeah, I think um, <laughs> up to this point, I think there's only two classic stories that I've never seen. This wow. was one of them. So in the past, you have said to me, whenever whenever we've put Underworld on the schedule, it's been on there twice before. Mm. <laughs> this is funny, listener. The first mm. time, Adam said, I'm not doing it. There was one time where he was like, <laughs> I, I just can't do it, mate. I, I can't. I can't do that story. I think we'd come off the back of another story that wasn't well <laughs> reviewed. Mm-hmm. And Adam was like, I can't do it. And then the second time it was on there, it just got moved anyway for a different reason. But it's- uh, but even this time I tried to get you to change it. <laughs> I was like, do we, I was like, we've just done the web planet. Surely we can't do underworld after that. But anyway, yeah, we need to get it out of the way. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He did say, um, he did say that. So in my mind, I had to do a little bit of a, I reset. I had to just have a little word with myself and just say, look, Adam clearly isn't a fan of this one. It seems like nobody is a fan of this one, but you need to get that out of your head, go into it fresh and try and ignore the um, people's views on this story. So we'll see if that came to fruition and helped me at all. So before we get on to the deets on what you think, dude, let's do the uh, the old info. So it was yeah. first released, a four-parter. The first part went out on the 7th of January, 1978, and finished up on the 28th of January. So the whole of January was um, Doctor Who. It was written by Bob Baker and Dave Martin, directed by Norman Stewart, overseen by Anthony Reid. It stars Tom Baker, Louise Jameson, John Leeson is the voice of K-9 and about a dozen supporting cast members. And the synopsis is... On the edge of the universe, the Doctor, Leela and K-9 encounter a minion ship on an epic quest to find their race banks. But their people have encountered the Time Lords before. That's it. End of synopsis. So, dude, what did you think to (laughs) Underworld? I, you know, I had no idea you'd never seen this. That's that's taken me aback. Has. So you have to go into it with a fresh mind. Quite interesting. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts, uh, knowing that, to be honest. Uh, wow, first time watching it. Uh, myself, yeah, I mean, I haven't watched this many times because I'm not really a fan of it. Um, but in a weird way, I was looking forward to revisiting it to see, you know, if it's as bad as I remembered. And you know, uh, especially after reviewing the Web Planet last week, which was very hard to get through, this was <laughs> this was another one that I found uh, hard to get through. But there was a glimmer of hope. I mean, I watched the first episode and thought, well, actually, that was all right. That wasn't too bad. Part one, you know, kind of standard Doctor Who. They land on a spaceship. The set looks fairly all right. Not as bad as I remember. The cast aren't as flat as I thought. Yeah, maybe it's not going to be too bad. And then pretty much from episode two onwards i think it just deteriorates and you can just tell that the episodes are really underrunning in their time you know that the they're really trying to pad them out as much as possible um we get some shots repeated you know they use the same shot over and over again to try and you know get the episodes up to 25 minutes and they still don't succeed i think one of the episodes is is 22 minutes long we including the credits i think yeah. Um, so you can tell it's struggling. There isn't enough um, story to sustain four parts. Um, there isn't enough dialogue. I mean, I think sometimes they had to improvise to, you know, some of the scenes which had no script written for them. They were just written as descriptive scenes and they were like, these scenes are really flat. We need to add something here. I know this because I watched the documentary on it afterwards. So I could tell that there was problems in the production. Um, and also, obviously, it's well known for its 
bad CSO. You know, it, it, it relies heavily on the fact that they had completely run out of money um, by the time they made this story. So the sets are very basic, although I think the spaceship one looks fairly good. I think they obviously spent the majority of that the budget on on that set but they had no money for anything else so the caves are all cso caves um so all the actors are working against blue screen which of course back then you know i mean it's not like today where old uh, george lucas made them remember when they made the star wars films and they were just acting against you know green screens for the whole films i mean i think that you know it's become a bit more advanced since but back then it must have been so time consuming and so frustrating for the actors to have to try and envisage what they were supposed to be looking at and working around. And it's at the end of the day, mate, it's just dull. I just find the story really dull. As I said, after that initial first part, I quickly lose interest in it. It doesn't look good on screen. It really doesn't hold my attention. Um, And by the end of it, I really just didn't really know what was going on. I'm like, okay, they're trying to get these, what is it? Race banks. I mean, what even are they? Are they, Mm. you know, what? Yeah. Which is mm-hmm. switch for bombs at the last minute, but then they managed to switch them back. It's not good. And just to finish up my initial thoughts, mate, it's one of the few stories because obviously I love the Fourth Doctor. I often cite him as my favourite. I can never really pick a favourite, but Tom's up there as one of my favourite Doctors. And um, it's one of the few stories that I don't even like the Fourth Doctor in. I don't like Oof. Tom's performance. I don't like the way he's written. I don't like the fact that he's so snappy. Um, he, he mumbling most of the time. Um, yeah, it's very rare that there's a story that I don't like Tom Baker and he, even he can't lift this one. But I just don't, I don't even like Tom's performance. I, and I'm hesitant to be critical of Tom because I love his doctor. But having watched the studio footage of this story, he's in such a... We're into the era now where Tom just is not taking direction well. He's snappy off screen as well as on. Um have you watched the studio footage of this, by the way, the Raw Studio? Because if you haven't, you've got to watch I it. I did, mate, afterwards, yeah. Yeah, it's when amazing. he's effing and blinding, and <laughs> yep. he, he really shouts down some poor production assistant, mm-hmm. doesn't he? You know when he says, Tom, could you do that walk? You kind of stumbled. He's like, I'm from Gallifrey, sir. I don't, I don't walk normally. And he really goes off on a rant, and this poor, poor um, I think he's a floor assistant, or I don't know, some poor chap that's just trying to do his job is getting absolutely roasted by Tom yeah. in front of all the other actors. It's uncomfortable. He even has a go at John Leeson, doesn't he? Yeah. When he's talking to yeah. K9, he's like, come on, John, get it bleeping together and all this. It's like not a very nice atmosphere on set. Just I don't like seeing Tom like that. You know, uh, it's and I think it translates on screen. I just don't think he's very likable as the doctor in this story. He's really snappy towards Leela. There's no nice chemistry between them, even though I feel like she's really trying and yeah, so I feel like I'm going on a bit because I'm going into other stuff, but it's, yeah, it's not a story I, I enjoy. I don't really have a lot of positives on this one, I'm afraid. Yes, I read you. Yeah. Anyway, over to you, mate. First time watching this, I find that amazing. I'm really <laughs> intrigued. What? Because obviously you will have known of its reputation, but w- going into it with a an open mind as you can have knowing that, what did you think? Yeah, exactly that, mate. I'd, um, I'd heard of, I'd heard rumblings of, Mm. Like whenever we'd spoken about Tom's doctor down the pub or at an event or something and somebody mentions Underworld, it's, you know, it's like somebody's just, you know, done a poop on the table because everyone's just like, (laughs) how dare you mention, you know, that word. (laughs) So, yeah, I I was aware of it. But when I watched it, dude, I thought, come on, let's let's have a 
an open mind as we go into it. Mm. So I did that. I tried to um try to not get swept up in the uh, in the negative hype and and all that stuff. And when I'd finished watching it, I thought they were absolutely right. No, it's um, <laughs> I thought you guys say what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, it's absolutely awful, mate. It's, it's not good, is it? No. And you know what? I think um, I was surprised that Tom was like that as well in this story because mm. I always imagine Tom to start being that way as we go through um, sort of season 17 and 18. Mm-mm. I always, for some reason, I always imagine Tom in those last two seasons to be really cranky and snappy. And there's, it's well documented in that, especially that last season. You know, you can tell if you those um, stories like, um, like Megloss and Full Circle. You know, those sorts of stories. Mm. You can just tell that his mind is a million miles away in some scenes, rather than on the job sort of thing. So I didn't realise that it went back this far because we still have to go through like all the key to time stuff after this and all that lot. And he's oh, not yeah. too bad in those. He's not as you don't get the feeling he's as he's as grumpy and and stuff but mm. yeah you can you can absolutely tell a mile off that past that first scene which is very cool when he comes out of the TARDIS and he's got his you know he's doing a bit of oil painting and he's kicking back and stuff and he's having a bit of a yeah. laugh and um Louise Jameson looks fairly relaxed at that point as well and you think oh, okay this is this is going to be a pretty cool story but that swiftly just gets turned off when you know they arrive on that other ship um imaginatively called um the uh, the R1C um, <laughs> when they go aboard that ship, they uh, it, you can it just goes downhill really quickly. Unfortunately yeah. for me, and um, and uh, I think m- most of all, um, there's no there's no life to the story. Most of all, pretty much every single scene throughout every episode, everybody's down in the dumps very mm-hmm. depressed you know everything's bad everything's going to poop and and all that stuff and there's only the, the only thing that made me laugh i'll be completely honest with you was mm-hmm. the performance of the 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 guy who kicks off at captain jackson quite near the beginning you know the guy with the dark hair who's always up for a tear up and he gets himself captured and tortured later on um yeah herrick herrick yes uh, he was the only sense of enjoyment for me, but it was completely unintentional. Like when he yeah. started to lose his rag all the time, I, it, I just—it was so funny because it felt so out of place. Um, but it was—it was funny. It brought a smile to my face. But everything else, dude, it was like uh, it would have been really well suited the whole vibe of this story if it was applied to like a kind of post-apocalyptic dystopian sort of fallout world you know that would have been perfect mm. but for this story where there's potentially a lot going on you know there's like the civilization that's already on you know the planet that's that's captured and offered up a sacrifice to the seer or whatever it was yeah you know and you've got that going on and then you've got these dudes that are on their ship that are seemingly using time lord technology because they're going through a series of regenerations every now and then to to keep the ship going and stuff and you know on paper it's that it's that it's that classic but sad old adage isn't it it's like on paper it sounds really good could Mm. be an amazing story but on screen everyone just looks like they're just not uh, who was the director on this again it was um norm stewart i didn't recognize the name well i looked it up earlier and i thought oh i don't that's not a name that you know sounds familiar um who was it norman Norman Stewart. stewart yeah yeah um 
I don't know. It's it's almost like he's he's created an atmosphere where, um, other than Louise Jameson, who's fairly chipper through some of it, you know, and she's very mm-hmm. smiley and stuff like that. It just feels like everyone else, every other character is like, oh god, you know, doom is round the corner. You know, I'm about to be obliterated at any moment. Uh, these dudes are after me. Oh, this is all bad. I, I just felt depressed, mate after i watched it even the ending which is supposed to you know most well you know yeah most of all endings within even classic who is a little bit of an uplifting thing and Mm. you feel like oh cool that was that was a cool little ending on to the next story sort of thing but even after that i was like god i need to go and watch some cartoons or something now some (laughs) yeah i don't know but uh (laughs) so anyway mate yeah my my overall thought is that it was pretty awful in in more ways than one shall we get the elephant in the room out the way which yeah, is the old uh, the old color separation overlay? Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you that don't know, CSO is the the old the old technique where films were things were filmed on a blue screen back in the day. There weren't so much green back then. They were filmed on a blue screen, and then uh, depending on what uh, dep- depending on what part of history you're you're referring to, it was either done with. Um, uh, what was it like filters it was like lenses and stuff yeah um or something like that and then later on they started to do it digitally with computers and stuff but um uh it has varying results i think is the best way to put it i think sometimes in classic coup when it's used sparringly it can look quite cool even though you can tell it's a cso shot from you mm. know, a billion miles away um but in a story like this you can tell that, and I think it was, um, I think it's a, a known fact that they've blown most of the budget building the ship. And so when it came round to having enough money left over for the other sets and stuff, they were like, mm, no good. So we're going to have to CSO this bad boy. So like the caves that they're running around in and, and a lot of other things. I mean, it did look okay when they're in the ship and they're looking up at the screens, you know, at yeah. the beginning when they see the vortex and the you know all that stuff that's not too bad that's okay mm-hmm. but when <laughs> but when they've used it in nearly every other shot they even used it in the um you know the dudes that have like the three red eyes yeah they even used it on those for some bizarre reason so you've yeah. got this weird kind of shimmering effect going on on their on their eyes and stuff and there's a bit and um because it's blue screen by the way anything that the actors are wearing that veers even close to the color blue that gets wiped out as well so there's bits where you've got the extras who are running through the caves and half their legs are missing and costumes are missing and so you do overkill like floating in the air he looks like he's floating in the air because he's not on the ground yeah yeah so overkill dude or um it didn't really bother you that much no, I mean, it, it doesn't look good. It it just doesn't. And I think you're right. I think in this one they might have uh, mixed it with a shot with a plate in front of the camera because pretty sure on the behind the scenes they're like carving out the cave pictures. So, yeah, it's very basic um, CSO, but for the time, I suppose, you know, it's, it's still finding its feet or whatever, but it, it, it doesn't look good. Um, and again, this will be down to the time pressures of how quickly they had to make it. And having watched 
the behind the scenes, you know, it just must have been such a headache mm-hmm. trying to get the actors to walk around, you know, what they can't see. So they've put this plate in front of the camera with a painting on it and then mix that shot with them against a blue screen. And so there's a, you know, so there's a big rock piece that they've got to walk around that they can't even see. And Tom's stomping around in front of it and they're trying to tell him, no, you've got to walk around it. And he's going off on one. And it just must have been a nightmare, you know, trying to get this blimming thing recorded and so i'm not surprised it looks as bad as it does to be honest but Mm -hmm. it's having said that it's bad but it's not quite as bad as my memory had it like i had vision i in my mind there was lots of you could see lots of green lines where they'd mix the two shots and it wasn't quite as bad as i remember but it certainly doesn't look good um, one yeah. thing that was better than I remembered, because I'm going to tr- try really hard to put at least a couple of positives in, is um, is the model work, actually. Yes. So sometimes cool. we get some terrible spaceships in Doctor Who and, uh, and even worse ones in Blake 7, as much as I hate to say it. Um, but uh, they don't look too bad in this. And there was a shot of the ship when it's got like these sparks flying either side of it when it, i don't know can't remember what's supposed to be happening but i thought actually for 72 that isn't bad at all that actually looks pretty good so the model work although nothing special um is is definitely better than i remembered it but uh the cso mate it's and the <laughs> problem is there's so much of it isn't there i mean in episode two when the when the doctor's I don't know even what's going on. There's like a vent with some smoke pouring out of it and the Doctor does a really slow walk because Tom's been told to take everything slowly to pad the episode and then he (laughs) kind of just slumps onto Mm -hmm. the, you know, onto the box or whatever. It's it's like, I didn't even know what was going on. It's probably one of the worst cliffhangers in Doctor Who, probably only matched by the second cliffhanger the following week where they get tipped out of a truck. I mean, I A, I've no idea what's going on in either of those cliffhangers. (laughs) And uh, and B, it just looks so bad, you know? Mm -hmm. But again, yeah, there's so much CSO in this. It's hard to really ignore, like you said, the CSO elephant in the room because it does stand out. It's bad. Yeah. It's just so much yeah. of it. There is a lot of it, isn't there? And you can tell it's a yeah. byproduct of not prioritising the budget, you know, where you needed it to go. They'd, mm. Yeah, they'd spent a load of money on other stuff, so there was literally no no money left to build all the other sets that they wanted to build and stuff. So you make do, I guess. Back yeah. in the day, like we said, loads of times back in the day, watching it on very old CRT television, you probably wouldn't have been too bothered. No, no, that's true. Too much, you know. But yeah, you know, in modern day viewing, it's like wow. Mm. But then you fall into the argument of should these things? Because we've had this a few times with these Blu-ray sets where they've not only if they remastered the picture quality and so on, but they've redone the visual effects and everything. You go down that road is like okay, well, should you redo that so it looks good for modern audiences and modern viewing technology and stuff, or Mm. do you leave it in because it's the charm of it and and all that stuff? So. Um, yeah, I, I think it would be a really difficult remaster this one because <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the actual on-screen content is lost through the CSO. You know, all the fringes of things look terrible. There's a bit where the Doctor and Leela are walking um, down one of the tunnels and the CSO is that bad that it's chopping off a load of Tom's hair. Yeah. You know, and it's cutting off <laughs> some of that. You know, so <laughs> that'd have to be sort of manually digitally painted back in it'd just be a nightmare so ah the old cso mate it's um used sparringly it's all right but in this one nah not good 
The thing Not is, good. if you get if you get good performances, like I think I may be in my mind confusing this with a Pertwee one, and I'm trying to think, is it the Mutants maybe, where they use a, a bit of CGI in the same way, and it's got like fringing around all the actors? Because as I said, it definitely wasn't as bad as I remember, although it's not good. But, you know, I think if you've got good performances, you can overlook it, you know, you can get past it. But because everyone's just kind of wandering around so flatly and Tom's just slumping onto things and then they see an air vent, and it, you know, there is no... Um, like excitement in any of the scenes, so you can't even overlook mm-hmm. the sort of bad CGI because it's just, everything's just so flat from the from the visuals to the performances to to the music, everything. It's just there is no excitement in any of the scenes. You know, I don't like you said about the actors; they're not really they're not really giving anything. I think the only people that are putting any effort in in this story is Louise Jameson and mm-hmm. um, Alan Lake, who you said uh, Herrick who seems yeah. to be the only one who actually wants to give, you know, put something into his performance. But even he drove the director and and people working on it mad by tr- trying to be awkward all the time. I mean, the, uh, no, it's not the director, but there's somebody on the making of says he just seemed to be being awkward for the sake of it. He would say, right, well, how would I know this in my scene? And they'd say, well, could just say the line, Alan, just say the line. It won't, don't worry about it. It'll make sense when we put it together. Well, how do I do this? And all, you know, apparently it was very awkward to work with. Um, but, you know, on screen, at least he's giving something, I feel like, you know, he's more interesting than the other actors in it. Very true. Yeah, at yeah. first I thought, wow, he's, he's a theatre actor for sure. Mm. He's oh, he the does wood. a theatre death, doesn't he? God, that yeah, death definitely. is like really drawn out. <laughs> well, actually, it's not a death because he doesn't die, but when he gets shot, I mean, he does a real proper theatre. Oh, oh, oh yeah. no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, That there's also that first scene, you know, when we see the crew of the uh, imaginatively named R1C. We see them <laughs> having a conversation and uh, they realise that the big swirling nebula in front of their ship is is of danger. They're going to get swept up if they're not careful. Yeah. And uh, as a side note, it's very cool that K9 saves that. The doctor plugs him in and end up uh, coming away from it. But it just before mm. that, um, Jackson, Captain Jackson, uh, with a very big fetching silver quaffed hair, is like, "Yeah, look, you just you'll do as you're bloody told." And <laughs> And Eric's like, this is like he's proper screaming and shouting at him. And I thought, what's the beef here with these two? Because <laughs> Eric's properly shouting, properly shouting at him and screaming. They should have played up to that a bit more, yeah. shouldn't they? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. as he's doing that, I thought, here we go. We've got a theatre actor in the round. And uh, and then, but he just gets, <laughs> as much as he starts to stick by, you know, stick to his guns, Jackson's just like, enough. And so Eric's just like, oh, all right then. Yeah. So you think, oh, that was slap down, slap down, mm. pulled rank on him, and then you realise later on in the story that on board this ship they have these things called pacifiers, which is hilarious as well. So he's kicking off oh, again, yeah. as you'd expect, going nuts at someone. <laughs> he just wants to kill the doctor and leader immediately. He's just like, no trespassers, no good. You know, we should we should kill them. Mm. And Jackson's like, well, hold on, hold on, steady. And even then, he's like, no, 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 no. And then the other guy up on the thing fires the pacifier, and he's like. Ah. you're all good as you were go on let's go and have a cup of tea all lovely (laughs) but that guy though um uh what's the actor's name alan lake alan lake yeah yeah. he he was very cool for me yeah you you nailed it mate so him 
and Louise Jameson were the only ones to show any type of range. So they went from even there's a couple of scenes where he's enjoying almost being tortured. Mm. You know, when he's being yeah. shot at as well, like when he's when he's legging across the bridge and he's being mm. shot at and he's got this just before that, he says to says to the boss, Jackson, he's like, I've been waiting for this for so long. He's been hungry for action. So even when he's been shot and everything, he's got a little grin on his face like, this is amazing. Even, <laughs> even though I'm losing, this is amazing. And then when he's being tortured as well, um, he kind of has a little grin on his face then as well. He's like, I'll never tell you. <laughs> I'll never tell you. <laughs> so him and Louise Jameson were funny. And Louise Jameson was, um, she had like a little grin on her face at times and there was a bit where in that scene i mentioned when she was under the influence of the pacifier and the doctor's mm. trying to coax out of her like her warrior you know um uh, sort of state and you know a state of mind and she gets the knife out and she's like ready for it and he's like oh, oh, oh mm. no just relax so those two you're right they're the only ones that showed some range. The other, the other actors, even Tom Baker, unfortunately, they were just very, very one-sided throughout the entire story. It was all doom and gloom, in a, in a way, understandably. But, mm. you know, there are so many good stories. And what makes some Tom Baker stories some of the best is when Tom Baker is having, like, a real... like the, the, the Him as the Doctor has been written to wind somebody up and he plays it with a big smile on his face and he injects some humor and there's a bit of a there's a bit of a childlike nature to him sometimes mm. you know how we've said in many stories before with tom yeah but you don't get that in this one. yeah no. you don't get any of that at all nothing at all so anyway what do you think to the story so the story is basically um the, <laughs> there's there's one ship looking for another ship basically um the imaginatively titled um, uh, R1C. That's it. I couldn't think what it even was. He's yeah. looking for the other imaginatively titled P7E. So, when they were writing this, who wrote this? It was um, Bob, was it wasn't Bob it? Bob Baker. Yeah, Bob Baker and Dave Martin. They thought, right, how can we come up with some names of ships that the viewer's going to remember? So when this story is done and they're talking about it at work or in the playground, they can say, oh yeah, it was on that ship, wasn't it? Hmm. No. Let's just give it the most random clinical name that no one's going to remember. And I can guarantee, like we're doing now, if we didn't have this info in front of us, if we were talking about this down the pub, it'd be like that ship. Yeah. That ship or this ship. Just no <laughs> clever <laughs> no remember, memorable names or anything. So anyway, they're looking for the other ship. That other ship happens to have turned into a planet now which is handy. So they crash through the, the crust, they go into it, and they find out that um, these things that they're looking for, uh, the something banks, what are they called? The, the race, ba- is it race, the race banks, banks or something like yeah, that? Yeah, uh, have been protected by this thing called the Oracle, which is essentially, the Doctor calls it out as just this deranged computer yeah. that's gone nuts. And you have these things called um, the Seers, who... Some people call them sky gods, I think, uh, and the seers. And they rule society on behalf of the Oracle. They keep order by essentially keeping all these people slaves and working. And every now and then, in order to inject a bit of fear into everybody, they sacrifice, you know, somebody. And it doesn't mean anything. The Doctor tells us quite early on that it's just mumbo-jumbo. It's Mm -hmm. just all sort of celebration and 
and crap just to keep everybody scared basically uh, and that's it that's literally the crux of the story so what do you yeah. think to that as a as a who story over four parts i mean yeah, I mean, that's the problem. It, 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 there's some nice little ideas in there, isn't there? I mean, Bob Bob Baker and Dave Martin, uh, you know, have, have done a few stories for Doctor Who and they're normally quite reliable writers and I think they've come up with some nice little ideas. It just doesn't... Um, a, it's not enough to fill the four parts and B, it's just um, not executed well at all on screen. So it, it just falls very flat, you know. But on paper, like you said, you'd read that and you'd think, ah, some sort of good things, you know, the idea of, like, the people being controlled and stuff it just none of that really comes across on screen to me and you've got those guys in those big black outfits with the big hoods and that and i think they could have probably um looked quite scary if they'd have actually been you know shot better and and, mm-hmm. and actually realized on screen better like i mean they're quite quite a weird sort of sinister costume that and they just sort of kind of stomp around and take the hood off and then they're done and there's nothing there's nothing to them basically and i thought there are things like that are just kind of wasted in this story. You know, you could have really, you could have had, you know, you could have had a shot of them creeping around the corner and what's that? That black suit with those eyes, what's that? There's none of that. They just kind of walk onto set and that's it, you know, just, but there's loads in this story like that, I think. Good, nice ideas that are just completely wasted and don't go anywhere and don't and aren't interesting. Yeah. You know? I think for me, dude, I think the, um, as well as what you've just said, which is bang on, I think for me as well, it was the there wasn't much payoff with these race banks things. Exactly. Do you know what yes. I mean? So yeah. I think there was the when when we were told about that throughout the story, it had a little bit of intrigue about it because you think, okay, what's that? So again, listener, if you're not aware, if you haven't seen the story, these race banks were um, essentially they were a collection of like all the all the biometric information and all the genetic structure, I guess, of the of the the minion species, they were contained within these. And that was the whole reason why the imaginatively titled R1C was on its quest. So throughout the story, they say, you know, the, what do they say about the quest over and over? The quest is the quest. The quest is the quest. That's it. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. So that's the thing. So <laughs> in in the minion's history, they were aided by the Time Lords. But then they rejected that and destroyed their own people, essentially. Mm. And so these are like supposedly the last minions out there looking for the race bank. So presumably they can start to rebuild the minion species, I guess. Um, so that's the deal with the race banks. But the, they, were, they were left right at the end of, the, of part four where they actually secured the race banks. And it turns out that they was it was a switch anyway. So there were some duplicates made. Just happened to ha- just, be around. Just happened to be around, yeah. yeah. Um, which were f- uh, fission bombs, basically nuclear bombs. And uh, at the very end, the Oracle, ironically named the Oracle, <laughs> basically <laughs> lets, um, lets them wander off with the actual race banks. And unbeknownst to the Oracle, again, very ironically, it's the nuclear bombs that have been sat there. So they go off in the ship and... Uh, Actually, I think it's K9 that flags it up. K9's like, that's not the right thing. They're the oh, bombs. Oh, yeah, he does. Good old K9. So they go and they do the switch, and the Oracle's like, well, just let them take them. They've got the bombs anyway. They're going to blow themselves up. Anyway, the ship leaves at the end, gets into orbit, and then the other one blows up, and, and that's all good. But it took right until the end of episode four for anything to happen with those race banks. And even then, it was just, a, oh, they've been swapped, and now you've got the real ones. Fantastic. Yeah. You know, exactly. there was no hot potato moment. There was no... 
no one running through the caves with these things you know <laughs> it was just i don't know that would have been so much better <laughs> yeah the, the, the payoff for me for these very you know sought after uh pieces of of equipment just kind of were mentioned even though it was the main directive for these dudes to get hold of they got sidetracked a little bit and then you don't see anything about it until episode four so yeah that was another thing for me dude in terms of story Mm. was there who who are the guys with that you know you mentioned them earlier so when they take the hoods off they've got these funny faces but they've sort of got these red glowing eyes effects so those dudes i mean i think they actually would have looked better without the the glowing eyes for a start because it's an unusual headpiece they're wearing isn't it so it looks almost dated but dated enough to look interesting if that makes sense so who where did those guys pop up from and, and what happened to that you know i mean another nice idea but goes absolutely nowhere i think they're only mm. in like one scene aren't they or two scenes they're in they? a f- couple of scenes yeah. yeah so um they're the seers so they the were seers, that's it yeah. yeah yeah so they were um they were descendants of the minions who had um evolved i guess over the hundreds of thousands of years that the um the imaginally uh, titled unimaginative entitled r1c was mm-hmm. been has been looking for them um and they report to the oracle but they oversee the slaves um i think they call them trogs don't they in the episode That's in the it. story yeah trogs um yeah so they um the two that we see in this story are called ank and lack I believe wow. were their Didn't names. Catch and, their names at yeah. the time, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so they would look very cool, but they look like um, they look like something from Sesame Street, unfortunately, <laughs> because the top half of their sort of gold helmets with the eyes they look quite menacing and bad. Mm. But unfortunately, from the eyes down, all they've got is this big button nose, yeah, and the the dome head shape. So, unfortunately instead of trying to come off as looking relatively, I don't know what the adjective you'd say, intimidating or mm. grand or, or something, I don't know. They end up looking like Sesame Street puppets. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. But but, it's just another element that's just sort of thrown in there sort of late on in the story. And I, it did, as I said, I didn't even realise quite what they were meant to be. I was like, well, who are these guys again? You know, yeah. And then we don't see them, so I don't care. It's just another nice element that's just thrown you know another bit of mud <laughs> thrown at the screen if you like isn't it yeah not good no good yeah. uh what do you think to um to jackson then james maxwell who's the captain of the of the ship because uh you know he's the dude in charge he's meant to be yeah. um you know excuse the pun steering the ship and all that and uh a little bit paint by numbers with him I was going to say, no. he's not bad and he's not good. He's just, yeah, that's a good way of putting it, actually. He's just paid by numbers, isn't he? He just doesn't stand out either way. Yeah, you know exactly. Yeah, it's not a memorable performance. I mean, I've literally just saw this for the, seen this the first time recently, mm. as in yesterday. Mm. The first time you watched this, which must have been decades ago. Yeah. Sorry, dude. <laughs> must well, have been it is. Decades ago. <laughs> I, I imagine that you know... You've probably got a still shot of him in your mind, but you probably can't remember specific scenes and him delivering dialogue and stuff. I guess absolutely not. No, yeah. no. I mean, as I said, he's he's just unmemorable. He's not bad. He's not. He's not. He's not bad in the part, but he's he's just unmemorable. It's just that's a good way, like you of putting it. He's paint by numbers. It's just yeah. It just feels like a an extra more than a sort of leading captain. You know, he's just kind yeah. of there, isn't he? Yeah. 
Yes, yeah. And as it, it kind of, what doesn't help as well is that the limelight is stolen a little bit by um, by Herrick, you know, that Herrick, character. Yeah. Because yeah. he is such a cool... Um, and he's got a bit of oomph, hasn't he? Exactly. Yeah, because he's got a bit of a bit of gumption about him mm. and a little bit of fire. You want to see more of him. You want to see more of that character. And yeah. he's he's in it quite a bit as well. So he goes off on his own, obviously, to take on the the seers and the guards and everything, ends up getting captured. And then the whole torture scene and everything's cool. And then you know, he's and then that ruck that he has with Jackson early on, and then mm-hmm. you know, so he's he's the sort of character that you're like, oh cool, you know, it's you know that something stick cool. in the mind. Yeah. That's the thing. He will if you say this story, you kind of picture him. Yeah. You know, something cool's gonna happen when yeah. he's on screen. Yeah. Whereas um Jackson it's more like, oh, we should go here and do that. Mm. Okay, yes, I agree with that. Yes, let's go here and do that. Cool. On we go. Dun, 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 dun. You know, it's very much a, we need to, this is like a, again, excuse the pun, it's like quest fetches that you see in video games. It's like, right, we need to go here and do that thing and come back here. Whereas Herrick's like, no, we need to go <laughs> and fight and do this thing and then we'll be okay. So, yeah, mm. uh, upstaged a little bit by yeah. Alan Lake. Mr. Maxwell, I'm afraid. And and he does, um, Herrick gets to say the line at the end, which I did like, of mm-hmm. the quest is over. Is over. <laughs> and you think, oh, thank God for that, because they've, <laughs> they've said the quest, this is the quest about a hundred times by this point. So yeah. when he says it's over, there is a slight sigh of relief. And yeah. it kind of, and again, unintentionally funny, isn't it? The way he kind of staggers out and the quest is over. He looks absolutely shattered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As if like he's had enough now. <laughs> yeah. He does. Yeah, like just like the viewer. Like the viewer. Yeah. yeah had enough now. Yeah. What was the dude um that was shouting at orders to the guards to track down um some of the trogs and, and the team and stuff? He he wore the same black suit as the yeah. as the guards. Um Is he the guy who gets gassed as well? Because there's a scene where there's gas everywhere and he does, he suddenly goes, Oh no, gas and I'm like <laughs> How did you not notice she was surrounded by gas? It's, again, just very badly filmed. Um, but I don't know if that's the guy you mean. I, yeah, I can't remember the guy's He's name. He's watching um, a screen a lot of the time. Is that the one you mean? Yeah, he is. What, yeah, exactly, yeah. Him? Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember his name, though. No, I don't know what he's called. No, uh, he was okay. Um, what about... What about um, Tala? Because she gets... Um, yeah. She's quite old in one scene. Reminds me of something from Star Trek, actually. She's got this old yeah. makeup on to make yeah. her look like an old woman and she goes and has a... Uh, well, I can't remember. What happens? She, she, what does she do? She comes back and she's all young again. Yeah, she doesn't... Nothing yeah, she much. She puts on a bit of oil of ule. Oil of ule, yeah, and a bit of makeup. Mm-hmm. She, um, Yeah, I mean, that was pretty cool. When she just... <laughs> it was incredibly funny, unfortunately, where her head <laughs> yeah. just sort of collapses down and falls onto one of the buttons and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of cool the way that they did that. It was a, it was, um, it was like a visual representation for the viewer that mm. you know we're about to go through a regeneration. Basically, this is like a, you know, the Time Lords have taught us how to do this because they've got endless regenerations. So that's kind of the point of the story as well. Is that time's running out for them? Ironically, mm. not for themselves because they can regenerate, but their ship is starting to um you know it's seen better days basically yeah um but yeah it was cool so um imogen bickford smith played Tara. great name isn't it? Imogen very cool imogen yeah and um she was um <laughs> she was okay but unfortunately like a lot of female characters 
in this era of who she kind of gets sidelined totally a little yeah. bit you know yeah, absolutely lost in it which is a shame i feel like there was a nice performance waiting to happen there because i do like the little scene she's in and i think that's quite a nice idea of the whole regeneration thing and again it's just another idea thrown at the screen and forgotten about after episode one isn't it pretty much yeah um but yeah, yeah. i feel like she was totally underused and yeah I just would have liked to have seen it got A got more to do and, and B to have a bit more screen time, but totally yeah, lost, sadly. Same dude. Yeah. There was a, a teeny teeny, teeny weeny rumour as well that yeah. she was going to replace Louise Jameson as the next really? companion God. for Tom, okay. yeah. But nothing nothing ever came with it. I don't know if that is just a rumour or that was a, an attempt to happen and it just didn't work out. I'm not sure. I but, didn't know that. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so that was um, that was Tala. Uh, anyone else to to pick up on? So, um, old John Leeson then was very cool as K nine, right? So, yeah. Um, do you, in some stories, there's some very cool banter between the Doctor and K nine. The only time I saw this was at the beginning when K nine's trying to tell the Doctor about. I think it was the Nebula that was coming close to yeah. the TARDIS, and the Doctor's like, "Shut up." You know, he's talking and he's like, shut up. So that was kind of cool. They they do that very well. But other than that, I think it was more Leela that was into K9 rather than the Doctor in this one. I could be wrong. I can't remember. But am I getting that wrong? There wasn't much no, no, I'd think interaction. That's right, because she gives him the nice little kiss on the yeah. on the tin nose at the end, doesn't she? Yeah. There was, um, there was a bit where the Doctor clamps the... You know, back in the day when your car didn't start, you had jump leads to start. Oh, yeah, he puts them on his ears, doesn't he? Yeah. He gets the jump leads out, <laughs> puts yeah. on K9's ears. <laughs> and, um, well, I'm showing my age there, jump leads. <laughs> and uh, and they managed to get the ship out of the course of the nebula and all that stuff. And I think he does mention something like, I think he says, good boy or something. And Jackson says, what's that? And the doctor tells him what K9 is. But other than that, K9's kind of in the background a little bit. They sort yeah, of wheel him out when something needs to happen. But mm. yeah, maybe that's because of the the canine model, perhaps. It wasn't always reliable, was it? Well, he's certainly very noisy, isn't he? he like, yeah. you know, the motor and that thing is very loud when he's going around. But John Leeson's, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's pretty reliable, isn't he? In terms of his performance, um, he's just... He is just canine. I always think it's very jarring when he leaves for that one season and we get someone else because the... I don't know. John Leeson's voice just is K9, I think. Yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely, mate. Yeah, because yeah, in some stories, you have K9 in it a bit more. He's just sort of following behind. Mm. And there's a few shots, like pickup shots, where they see K9 going down some... I suppose they couldn't, I guess, because of the old CSO. Yeah. It would have been tricky with that, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I read you. Um, I've got no other characters to pick up on. No. Um, other than... Before we get on to the scores and stuff. What did you think to the, because they did build one set, didn't they? It was for the, the Oracle set where they had the sword floating around Oh yeah, and all this stuff that looked like a bloody mess, mate. It was like a, it was like they just cobbled together a bunch of tin foil and some old plastic chrome looking bits and tried to put pink lights around it and stuff. Just a bit of a mess that dude. It was a mess. I mean, they've just redressed the original set or something. I don't know. Mm. It doesn't look very good. Again, well, nothing in this really looks good, to be honest. A push, you could say the initial spaceship set for 70s Who is fairly good, but um, that's it. Yeah, the other sets look really ropey, you know. 
Ropey, mate. Is Ropey. The mm. Okay, and then old Dudders. They should have saved the budget, really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just standard stuff. It's nothing, <laughs> I wouldn't say it's bad or anything, but Dudley's music's just very standard in this, you know. Um, I think there was a bit where you almost heard, like, the first few notes of the Blake 7 theme. I, I, I didn't, <laughs> I only picked it out because it mentions it in the production notes, and I went, rewound it, and thought, oh, yeah. Uh, you hear the dun, dun, dun. I thought, oh so um because i think this was going out same time as blake seven as blake seven on now oh actually yeah you're a good point yeah that went is this about the same time as blake seven because he worked on both yeah oh yeah yeah he did uh dudley does pretty much all the music in blake seven apart from i think two episodes where uh, dougie canfield was directing and for some reason dougie never used Douglas, I don't know what was going on there. Um, but yeah, he does all the music for Blake Seven, and I think you do catch a glimmer of the theme yes. uh, in one of the yep. things. But yeah, apart from that, I mean, the music was just standard Dudley. Nice, but. Yeah, that was on the. Um, amazing. That was on the DVD. About yeah, Dudley. Yeah, it's on the DVD production notes, yeah. The production notes, yeah. He said that because um, the, the, uh, this went out, I think, two or three days after Blake Seven debuted. Yeah. And yeah, Dudley Simpson had said that because he was working on both shows, he'd sneaked a little audio reference oh. um, of Blake Themes music into this score. Cheeky Dudley. Little cheeky little one there. Old is Dudders. this also around the same time um, that the Star Wars came out? Because I think, is this the one where they went to the cinema and saw Star Wars and then came back feeling really depressed that this was about to go out at the same no. time? And just the comparison of like what Star Wars was doing. No, and, so this was know, a... It might have been a story before this one. This was a year oh. after Star Wars had come out. Oh, yeah, so certainly a seven, yeah. But, yeah, there is... Um, I think that happened a lot, though, with anybody that was making science fiction. Yeah. Any time after May 1977, just go home and just think again. Forget about Forget it. Forget about it. <laughs> think again, yeah. Cancel it. Yeah. <laughs> um, Okie dokie. I, I think I've got everything out of my system on this one, dude. Um, have you got anything else to mention? No, I just I just wanted to talk to you about Tom really as the fourth doctor because normally Tom can lift a story, can't he? Um, and he doesn't lift this one. If anything, he annoys me. I really don't like the fourth doctor in this. Uh, mm. I've got to get it off my chest because I, he's one of my favourite doctors. But um, I don't know if I don't know if I'm blurring the lines between Tom and the fourth doctor because I think sometimes they just are the same person. But He's really snappy towards Leela in it. He's really snappy to all the other characters in it. He comes mm -hmm. across as arrogant. Um, he stomps around. Uh, a lot of the time, Tom's mumbling. I can't even hear what he's saying. Uh, I just, yeah, it's very rare that I, there's a, I can't think of many Fourth Doctor stories where I don't like the Fourth Doctor in it. And I don't like, like, if the, for example, if someone said to me, if I'd never seen a Fourth Doctor story, someone said, oh, he's the best Doctor. He is the Doctor which I would consider to be true pretty much. He is great. If someone said to me, you never seen Tom Baker? you got to watch this. If this is my first story with the fourth doctor, I would think he was the worst because he's just, he's just unpleasant. You know, it's, it's just arrogant and, and snappy. And I, yeah. And I don't know if it's because I've also watched the behind the scenes stuff where I see Tom being very difficult. And this is during the Graham Williams era where I think the reins were off a little bit. I think with Philip Hinchcliffe, there was a lot of respect between him and Tom and Philip could sort of rein Tom in. But in this, uh, Graham Williams just doesn't have any control over Tom. You've got Tom telling him how to direct scenes. You've got him having 
a go at people for telling him, I know how to play the doctor. And he, he's got an arrogance to him that mm. is beginning to creep in. And it's, it's not very nice to see. I mean, you can see the ab limit as well. You know, that's another thing that I think previously they might have reined in a little bit. Like I think Philip Hinchcliffe would have indulged Tom if Tom had an idea and if he thought it was good, he would go for it. Or if he didn't, he could say to Tom, no, we're not doing that, Tom. So just do it as it's scripted and Tom would do it. At this stage, watching the behind the scenes, you see Tom, he's just like throwing in lines like that, that line where he says, whatever blows can be sucked. I mean, I mean, what the hell? You know, that the, the director should have said, no, Tom, I don't think, I don't think we'll put that line in because that's a Tom Baker ab lib apparently and yeah. talk, turning yeah. and talking directly to the camera as well. You know, when mm. the director's told him, no, no, don't break the fourth wall, but he does it anyway. You know, it's, I can see these sort of little things creeping in with Tom because he's been there so long. I think that perhaps he thought he knew better. You know, I know how the, to do this now. And yeah, it, it, I just find it um, disheartening to watch, I think, as a fourth Doctor fan. I don't like seeing this side of the fourth Doctor and I don't like seeing that side of Tom Baker. You know, it's just... It's something that sort of crept in later in this era, isn't it? And I think it it just gets worse from this point onwards. Uh, in terms of the behind the scenes, not his performance. I think there are stories after this where he's so much better. But there's no fun or lightness or there's no lovely moments between him and Leela. You know, there's no charming moments. He just snaps at her all the time. Everything she says, he puts her down, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah. And it's not just down to the script. It's the way Tom delivers the lines. You know, he's very snappy in it. And I, yeah, I just don't like it. And it's, I think most stories could be saved by Tom, um, but not this one. Hmm. I read you on that, dude. Yeah. And if you've seen many Tom Baker stories before, you kind of get the, you, you pick up quite quickly on when Tom's like that as well. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't take a long time to realise that, oh, okay, Tom, you're not into this one very much, are you? It's, um... It's usually a case of if he didn't care for the director very much, like if he wasn't impressed with the director or somebody or just wasn't into the script, he would absolutely let you know it. Mm. But the thing is with Tom is that I I could be wrong here, but there was I don't think there are many times where he would outright say, I think this is crap. He would more so just make life difficult by not taking direction, being very bullish Mm. and um, and quite disrespectful at times to either the producer or the director and so on, which is a real shame because mostly for the other actors, I think, because those guys, but depending on how you viewed it, there are some classic stories where we've reviewed the supporting cast members as this is just a paycheck. This is just another acting job and you're not into it. But there must have been quite a few actors who were really excited to get to work on Doctor Who. Mm. You know, they're either fans or they just wanted to work in sci-fi or they like Tom as the doctor or whatever it might be. And then they get on set and they just get absolutely torn to shreds by, um, by, by Tom and the atmosphere and stuff. So it, it's, it's a real, it's a real shame. And unfortunately it do, it happens still today. Do you remember there was a, a few years ago when there was that sound clip that leaked of Christian Bale on set of the Terminator film that he did? No, no, I don't think so. uh, Yeah, Google it, mate. It's absolutely hilarious. But Mm. there was basically a lighting guy or somebody who was doing something in the background while Christian Bale was trying to film this scene. 
got distracted by this guy and then spent the next 15 minutes absolutely tearing him another one in front of everybody. And you can hear the director saying, look, just calm down. It'll be fine. It's like, Mm. don't tell me to calm down. Anyway, it went completely off on one. So that still happens today, but Mm. you wouldn't know it by watching the film. Whereas when you're watching Tom, you know it, you know, that something's not right. Yeah. Yeah. So it, does that detract from the overall feeling of the story? Yes, it does, unfortunately, mm. with this type of, you know, like you were saying, he comes across as a bit arrogant and a little bit just not not enjoyable to watch, in a nutshell. Most yeah. of the time, anyway. Which is unusual, and normally the Fourth Doctor is very fun to watch. Even in a boring episode, Tom is normally the, the only good thing in it sometimes. You think, oh, well, at least Tom's like on the ball i'm thinking about um when you were talking about people being fans of his and coming into work with him i just can't help but think of poor old matthew warthouse <laughs> when he was like, such a fan wasn't he he was and then he's, he gets cast as a companion and he's so excited <laughs> to work with tom and tom just yeah was, uh, was at the peak of his unhappy sort of <laughs> stage i think yeah bless matthew, poor old matthew. just got oh it was him and, and lala wasn't it yeah yeah got put in between him and lala Blimey. Yeah. Jesus. Anyway, yeah. Mm-hmm. Tom. Anyway, he's chilled out nowadays, I guess, whenever anybody I mean, has... I love Tom. I wouldn't want anyone to think no. I'm having a go at Tom. I love him. And we all have days. I was saying to you before we recorded, we all have days when we lose our mm-hmm. rags. I mean, I was in a, a foul mood before getting to the BFI because of trains, cancellations, and God knows what. We all have days yeah. where we let yeah. off steam and look back and think, oh, everyone around me was probably like you know walk away mm-hmm. but um it just comes across a bit in the performance i think in this one yeah i don't know if i told you the story before i think i might have done many many moons ago years ago on the podcast but uh, a, a boss of mine a company that i used to work for um his i think his best friend or his wife's best friend used to live around the corner from tom baker mm-hmm. and um i was like oh wow that's amazing did they ever did they ever go and have tea or bump into him and his reaction was absolutely not because he was such a miserable old beep (laughs) that they never bothered i think they tried to yeah so this is going back a few years though like i said i think nowadays tom is a little bit um he he just got that golden you know lovely old old guy charm about him now you can even imagine him being like this yeah you know so yeah it's just a shame i think overall we sound like parents here we're not miffed about this we're just disappointed yeah i guess we're not and i don't want people to think we're painting on a bad picture because i've met him many times and he is incredible to me and like you said he's definitely mellowed in his old age and i think he just went through a period didn't he where he was drinking heavily and this is well documented. It's yeah, not like yeah. it's, uh, we're not having a go at Tom. We love Tom, but he definitely <laughs> went for a period of his life where he wasn't that happy. I think and was mm-hmm. drinking a lot and was quite irascible. Is that the right word? Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. go with that one. Yeah, yeah, um, and he's definitely mellowed and uh, in his old age, like we all do. We'd like, hopefully, to yeah, yeah. Okie dokie then. We love you, Tom. We know you listen. We do, not anymore he doesn't not, not now he doesn't <laughs> <laughs> so let's get to some scores on this one in bud i think it's you to go first yeah okay i'll go first um, i'm going to give this a three out of ten whoa i think this could be one of my lowest scored episodes <laughs> okay um like just because there's not hardly anything positive i can say about it so i thought the four that you gave the web planet was pretty low uh i, I probably would watch the web planet over this 
Because well, at least we've got some meet. interaction between the Doctor and the companions <laughs> and stuff. There's, th- yeah. yeah, there's nothing in this. Yeah, Ranger. Okay, I am going to give this a two. Oh, God. <laughs> a number two. <laughs> a number Literally two. Literally is the poo on the table. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah mate, I think um, it pains me to say it, but mm. there is absolutely nothing to enjoy in this story other than the odd little scene the odd little moment and scene between Herrick and Jackson or Herrick and the guards and stuff like that. Um, And Leela. I think Louise Jameson had a a, a good one in this. She does do well with what she's given. Yes. So I think for those two performances, they get a point each. The rest of it, mate, not even Tom. And it does, it does pain me to say that. Uh, It's just nothing. There's nothing. I didn't come away with just thinking, Oh, there were some good bits in that, but whatever. I just finished the four parts and thought, crikey moses now i now i get why when it's mentioned people just frown and want to change the subject so anyway ah a three from him and a two from me let's see finally did it it's been bouncing around on the schedule for years (laughs) we finally did it Um, the quest is over over. (laughs) thankfully right let's see let's balance this out a little bit perhaps shall we with uh, with our listeners thoughts over on twitter Sam Ash says, too long, drawn out one of the worst classic stories of all time. <laughs> yeah, agree. Not off to a good start, are we? Le- uh, would prefer to get a lobotomy than sit through this one again. <laughs> and uh, and Sam gives us a two as well. Two a out two. of ten. Owen, Doctor Who Home, says, a more interesting story would have accused, would have excused the poor CSO, but sadly, mm-hmm. this can't be said for Underworld. It's a remarkable bit of innovation and ambition when trying to save money, but when Star Wars is being Star Wars at this time, Underworld can't compete. It's all right, six out of ten. Six, generous. Yeah, okay. Chippy T, don't remember this being as terrible as all reports suggest. The most damning thing I can say is that you get to the end and are mired in indifference to it. Unusual to have a fourth Doctor episode you can't say that to. A four from me. Yes. Okay. Uh, so, uh, Tom, Titan Sci-Fi, short and sweet, just says, no, just no, one out of ten. Oh, and he also included a cool little gif of David Tennant's Doctor just with his feet up, shaking oh, his head. Oh, doing the shaky like, head. No, no, yeah, no. I love it. Will Sanger, a real slog from beginning to end. Whilst the backstory with the Time Lords is somewhat interesting, the bad CSO lets it down. The story has nothing to work with and there is no plot. It quickly becomes boring, simply running around the same horrible-looking caves. Not even a score from Will. Oh, <laughs> right. dear. Our writer, Jordan Shortman, says, Abysmal. Oh, Jordan. Absolutely abysmal. Why this didn't get... Uh, why this didn't just get filmed in caves, I don't know. Everyone looks bored, but the only person who seems to be trying is Louise Jameson, who is still fantastic as Leela. Yeah. From dodgy CGI to men in dodgy black leather masks, this isn't whose finest hour. No score. Yeah. Tom Turlow. It's, uh, it's a long time since I've seen it, so bear with me. Obviously, it's not good. <laughs> the CSO is mm. terrible and it looks cheap, but I think the story is quite interesting. And some of the non-CSO sets are quite good. A generally mediocre story spoiled by production issues. A six out of ten. Six, okay. Not too bad. Edward Gillooly, a dull story not helped by overuse of CSO. A four out of ten. And lastly on Twitter, Paul Jobbo says, was dreading this, but not as bad as I thought. Yeah. The good. Great concept for the story with the mythology parallel and prior Time Lord involvement. The bad. CSO is just awful, though it means K9 can trundle along happily. 
dodgy science and a wealth of cliches. Herrick shouts too much and the quest is over when he finds a couple of brass candlesticks and everyone folds their arms. (laughs) (laughs) Paul gives it um, four plot holes out of ten. (laughs) Oh, dear. Uh, Thank you very much, Twitter peeps. Over on uh, Facebook, Jeff Waddle says, there's very little plot and what we get on TV is so boring that the so-called plot of being a parody of Greek mythos goes right over my head. Instead, it looks more like we've walked into a sex party of fetish-wearing inhabitants. And while that wouldn't be suitable for Tea Time TV, neither is this garbage. One mm. of the lowest points of Tom's era, maybe even the worst. Wow. No score from go. Jeff. Oh, dear. <laughs> James Walsh. Oh, Underworld, what did we did so wrong to have you in our world? Everything is bad. The script, the effects, and the acting. Even our regulars look bored. Sometimes yeah. a bad story can be saved by a fan alien, but no. Four episodes of Tedium, zero out of ten. Zero. zero. God, have we ever had a zero before? I don't think so. Well, very rarely, yeah, the old zero. Andrew Stewart says, appalling. This story is a real slog from start to end. Uh, Tom and Louise are trying their best, however, it's just not working. The CSO is terrible, which is a shame, because it blew the budget for the rest of the series. Mm -hmm. And when you have CSO looking better in the Pertwee days, when it has brand new, then there's a problem. Also, it commits the biggest sin. It's boring. The yeah. worst Doctor Who story of all time. Wow. Uh, it's quite a long review from Andrew, but goes on to give it um, not too bad score, actually. Gives it a five out of ten. A five? Gosh. Okay. Yes. Uh, Bob Clark, the only thing more memorable about this episode, the quest is the quest. <laughs> LOL. Simon Lockwood, even as a seven-year-old at the time, I recognised the lameness of the, cho- of the chroma key. Sorry, BBC. Colour separation overlay. Cave scenes. Watching it now, uh, I still struggle to remember what just happened. It has its subtle references. P7E equals the Paris phone, the Persephone. But this is one story where we used attempt, where uh, we used to attempt to drag in, drag out in college. Hold on a second. Let me get this right. It has its subtle references, but this one story we used to attempt to drag out in college back in the day if we wanted a crap Doctor Who night with some income... Uh, Imbibment, and even then we couldn't get through it just for the fun of it. Oh, right, okay. So back in the day, mm. we used to say, if you wanted a crap Doctor Who night, you dragged out Underworld. Gotcha. Yes. Horns of Nymon is much better for that mm. and was probably considered the worst episode ever made for its era. Tom and Louise seems to be going through the motions. This is just almost nothing and hasn't aged well. One out of ten. Oh. Do you prefer the Horns of Nymon to this? Yes, I think so, yeah. We have to ask the important question, though, do Because it does have a, at least, <laughs> a, you know... <laughs> You go and ask it. How many Nymons How have many you seen <laughs> <laughs> Three. Yeah, definitely. At least he's got some fun moments, Nymon. You little hussy. <laughs> you meddlesome hussy. I'd meddlesome hussy. <laughs> oh, mate, I'm going to watch that this weekend. Yeah. Right, Douglas, let's get through this. Douglas Stanford Grandy, love that name, says, mm. if there was to be a list of the absolute worst classic Doctor Who eps, Underworld definitely makes the top three. The other two being The Web Planet and Ghostlight. Oof. <gasps> Ghostlight, eh? When it used to air on my local PBS station, I would always give it a pass and not bother watch it. Wow. To watch it many, many years later, I would buy it on DVD because I'm a completist. Mm. Adam knows exactly what you mean. I know all about that. I thought slash hoped that maybe now I'm mature, I will appreciate this story more. However, it was not to be. Definitely the worst of the Fourth Doctor's era. Mm. Charlie Turner says, Embarrassing, pathetic... And all things negative, pretty much. <laughs> right. Now I understand what the classic series 
has green screen used in certain stories but my god this is the definition of how not to use it to your advantage he goes on to give it a two out of ten a two right and lastly kevin mullen cool dude kev Mm-hmm. good designer says truly terrible fans often say tom baker's run was a golden age but there was a lot of awful episodes with this possibly being the very worst it yeah. makes the mistake of being boring which is unforgivable and another zero out of ten zero. crikey moses yeah all right dude what's the average for this then it's got to be a bloody two or a three two, i think oh. <laughs> two or three yeah oh dear right not good the upside though is that we've done it it's yeah we've watched it and done it so we can now stop bouncing it around putting it back on the schedule it's all good right thank you very much um people of twitter and of facebook for your comments and reviews much much appreciated as always thank you very much so next week dude what have we got for review then well after the web planet and underworld what we really need now is a belter <laughs> of a story to get us back in the swing of things unfortunately we're going to be doing <laughs> colony in space next week <laughs> what we, what we colony need. in space third doctor <laughs> what we need two fans is an absolute banger we'll have no listeners us. left by the end of the month so let's just call march the the bottom of the barrel month <laughs> scraping the barrel month for some quality classic who. oh yeah. god i'm not even going to tell you what's at week four after colony in space so tune in next week what is it week? Find... even i don't know what's it week for. <laughs> oh yeah oh god oh, yeah oh, yep march is right off month um but we're gonna get through <laughs> it it's all good so on that chipper note let's end there for episode 379 all righty thank you thank you thank you so much the thank you honestly so much for listening to this week's episode of the big blue box that was 379 where we reviewed the classic fourth doctor story underworld next week as adam said we're going to be reviewing another banger which is the third doctor story colony in space so keep your eyes peeled for the twitter and facebook and that stuff as we're asking for your thoughts and your scores out of 10 etc as always and thank you so much it was a slog to watch it but then another slog to get in contact with your thoughts and stuff so thank you very much for doing that in the meantime make sure you are following or subscribing to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts just do a search for the big blue box uh, podcast you'll find us on there or head over to the website which is big blue box podcast uk you can listen for free on the website there as well plus you can link off to all the socials there's links there we're on uh, twitter facebook and instagram get involved over there we chat doctor who throughout the week and while you're on the website make sure you check out the reviews and the articles from our amazing writing team we also have a very cool free discord server there's a link on the website hop in there and chat lots of other cool doctor who with some very very cool doctor who fans also don't forget to remember to check out adam's channel over on youtube it is of course the geeks handbag the geeks handbag yeah go check out my youtube channel also on all the socials instagram facebook tiktok and twitter twitter it's still going twitter even the tiktok's still going oh wow well, no, not really it's there but it's not 
Go and check out Adam's stuff. It's all yeah. Go and check out Adam's stuff. Loads of very cool stuff over there. Until next week. My name's Gary. My name's Adam. And remember, a. a-